How do we create more sustainable people, businesses and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the Podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. In episode 102, I spoke with one of our guest experts, Marit Imilan Gismi, on how culture can impact well-being, performance and sustainable success. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Greenwood. Tom is the Managing Director of Whole Grain Digital, a certified B Corporation that he founded with his wife Vinita in 2007 with the aim of helping good people benefit from good design. He is a believer that business and design can be used as a tool for positive change and is on a mission not just to create a truly sustainable business, but to help green the internet. In his spare time, he has an unhealthy obsession with natural health and likes to run barefoot around the woods. Welcome, Tom. It is so much fun to have you on Sustainable today. Thanks very much. So what inspired you to create a WordPress agency which holds at the heart of it the belief that business is a force for good? Um, well, I think back at the time, back in 2007, there was a lot of stuff going on Um with sort of green business, green design, um, and I, I had a background in product design, and it was it was quite an exciting time. And there was a lot of there was a lot of optimism and a lot of people doing things. And one of the things that I felt was lacking was um, sort of knowledge of how to present these products to the market. Um, they were every there was I don't know if you remember back then, but it was like there was loads of stuff. It was like eco and green and. It appealed to people like me, <laughs> but I could see that, like, you know, if I show these things to my friends or family, they'd be like, I'm not buying that. Um, and and I, I feel like green stuff or sustainable things need to go mainstream, you know, ultimately. And you know, it's great that you have this kind of hardcore green niche of people like myself and probably like you, you um but ultimately, like the whole point of sustainability is that, you know, we need the whole world to go sustainable. So we need to make these things appealing to other people. So um, so at the time, we actually started as a branding agency, not as a web agency, um, because we felt like we could we could help these companies to present themselves in a way. So not trying to fundamentally change the good things that they're doing, but just try to present them in a, in a way that would appeal to a wider audience. And, and that was that was interesting, and we we had some some nice projects that we did, but but everybody just kept saying to us, you know what, we're small businesses, we we don't really have money to spend on branding and things, but we have money to spend on a website, um, and so it just kind of morphed quite quickly into into being very web focused. It's like okay, well, fine, so you you can pay for that, we can do that, and we can kind of do the other stuff like along the way, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and it worked really well. And, and, and at the time we, we tried a few different kind of technologies and, and WordPress, WordPress just stuck. I mean, everybody who we built a WordPress site for loved it. And, and, and we really believe that sort of, you know, 
the customer owns the website. So you, when you're building something for them, they've got to be in love with it. It shouldn't be something where like, okay, you love it as a designer or a developer and you give it to them and tell them that it's the best technology. It should be something that they they fall in love with. And, and with WordPress sites, that just seems to be the case. And I, I think that um, that then led us to, to say, well, okay, well, if everybody loves it and not so much with the other things we're trying, let's just specialize in that. Let's just be really, really good at that one thing um, and keep that focus of trying to work with positive people doing positive things, but with the specific focus of WordPress. Um, and that's, that's, really, that's really where it came from. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating because it's exactly what you say there, like making this stuff mainstream. And a lot of what we do at Earth Self is how do we translate a lot of our, a lot of our work mainstream as well. And I, I like what you, you highlighted there. Well, we're not really looking to brand ourselves, but we we like web design and that's something that we need. So it it really what you're highlighting here is how do you find the the vehicle for want of a better expression, the the medium or the platform that can help people um, go more mainstream. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then what what impact has the, the the philosophy of you know business as a force of good had on whole green digital as an organization? Um, I mean, I think it's it's been at the core of the business since we started it, and and it's been a it's been a sort of an ongoing challenge. I think I've always been quite purist in my kind of opinions of sustainability, um, in the sense that <laughs> if it's not sustainable, it's not sustainable. Um, there's no such thing as quite sustainable, um, and and that's been that's been kind of challenging because I genuinely believe that most human impact whether it's positive or negative is done in the form of business people spend most of their time at work when they're not at work they're often doing things that require that involve transacting with with businesses whether they're going out to the cinema or restaurants or they're they're buying you know they're out shopping buying things or they're they're using online services like netflix or, or whatever it is most of our time is spent in some way either working for or interacting with businesses and so most of our most of our impact is channeled through business. Um, so I really believe that to achieve sustainability as a, as a society, we have to make business itself sustainable. Um, and so that's been a challenge really in our own business of actually trying to figure out, well, how do we become sustainable as a business? It's very easy for me to say it and tell that say every other business should be sustainable. But we've got to we've got to prove that it's possible ourselves. And and so, you know, we are always looking at everything we do in terms of, you know, the type of office space that we use and the type of tools that we use and how we hire people and where our energy comes from. And, you know, particularly, you know, more recently, really looking at the web and the work that we're doing and, and what what impact does that have? Um, and trying to see, you know, what what impact is it having, positive or negative, and how can we actually maximise the positives, eliminate the negatives? And it's really, it's really is challenging. You know, once you get into it, you realise well, it's not as easy as it sounds because we all have so many dependencies. Like we have dependencies on other businesses, and um, you know, infrastructure that we don't control, and so on. And um, but it's it's a learning curve, and I think. I think everybody needs to kind of go on that journey and, and and work work their way through it, but accept that it's not something you can just do overnight. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a useful reminder. You know, we're we're all on this journey together. It it does take time. Um, it took us, you know, probably thousands and thousands of years to become truly unsustainable. It's going to take us, well, hopefully not as long to get back. Um, yeah, I know. Well, this is the thing, you see, that it's taken us so long to become unsustainable. And now it's like, how long do we have to become sustainable? I mean, we're probably, we're probably in decades now. <laughs> we, we don't have long. but um, So there's a sense of urgency, but also a sense of realism. There. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, it's it's one of the things, Tom, that I, I love doing this podcast because, I mean, we speak to so many different people and the whole point of this podcast is saying, well, we're all in this together, but look at what's been doing, being done. And, you know, that kind of creates this momentum and this inspiration because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I do think that we're, we're further along or far closer to a tipping point than many people think. Um, and maybe I am just a complete insane optimist, but um, that is my my true sense when I see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends what day of the week you catch me on, whether I'm an optimist or a pessimist. Um, but I, I think we're certainly close to a tipping point, <laughs> whether it's a good one or a bad one. <laughs> we'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> so then how did you embed Whole Grains philosophy into the heart of your business? Um, I think... I think it's. I think there's two key elements really, and and I think both of them are people. So I think on the one hand, it's it's embedded into the organisation really through the people that we hire. Um, you know, we when we're looking to recruit people, we are always looking at their values. We're not just looking at their skills. And not everybody necessarily has the same views or beliefs that I have, but. Um, but universally, everybody that we hire is is, an, is a positive person. That they believe in making the world better in some way. Whether you know, uh, I'm very passionate about environmental issues. Other people might be more passionate about social issues or health issues or whatever it is. But they've all got um, they all have very positive values. And I think that when you when you start with those people, then everything else kind of comes from it because you're all on the same page about trying to make things better. Um, the other half of the sort of the people side is being very selective about the clients that we work with because you can have really positive people trying to do positive things but then if you're working with clients and on projects that don't align with values then the whole thing just wouldn't make sense so we've always been really selective about the clients that we take on um, and we have a I mean, in the early days, it was quite informal. It was just sort of myself and Vanita would decide whether we were happy with with a particular client or a particular project. Um, these days, it's it's a bit more structured. We have a, a screening process where we've got um, like a green, grey, and red system. And we so green is it, it meets certain criteria that we believe that actually this project or this client is helping to make the world better in a tangible way. Um, and those are the projects that we really want to be a part of. We really want to work on. Um, we really want to put our energy into. The red is stuff that is doing the opposite of that. We feel like it's actually making the world worse in some sort of tangible way. And we just don't want to be a part of it. Um, and, you know, there's the obvious things in there, like fossil fuels and um, gambling and, and so on. Um, and, then, and then you've got the grey, which is the stuff where no one can quite 
put it anywhere and a lot of stuff falls into that category and and um, that's that tends to still come down to gut feeling and and really just being open within our team and letting the team decide do they feel like this is something that aligns with their values or not um but but yeah i think that's the the key really is if you've got the if you've got the right people and you've got all the values aligned then everything else the actual details of how you try and make positive impacts follow from that yeah and i i like what you've said because i mean even you know it's like there's been three core parts there tom it's get the right people in make sure that values are aligned so huge energy and focus on values but then structure is also one of them. And I find that fascinating because it's like, how do you structure the screening process? How do we structure it so that the people and the values are in alignment rather than just saying, oh, it's a discussion each time. And for me, it's almost like that's sometimes the missing piece. And I know it was within us um, that we'd got our values, but we needed to structure them a bit more. And as we structured them and really spent time looking at, like you say, how would we, how would we do a screening process? That for us was actually quite transformational. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those things that are in the gray area that lead to a discussion often lead to more clarity about actually, well, how would we filter this next time? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. So there's this constant evolution and adaption of the screening process based as more and more issues kind of come up. Exactly. Yeah. So then one of your organization's values is brave. So then how does being brave influence the decisions that you make, whether it be, you know, the environmental issues or screening the clients? How does how does that practically play out? Yeah, I think um, I think it, it plays out in a few different ways. Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things in terms of one of the hardest things that actually requires bravery, but it maybe doesn't sound particularly dramatic, is having the confidence to actually be honest about what you believe and actually to say it out loud. Um, and and that's something that we really sort of encourage within the team and, and myself and Vanita are always trying to do ourselves. And, and I think that that is sort of on a more philosophical level, very much at the heart of everything that we do, because that then leads to the more tangible outcomes, which, and for example, going back to the screening list, you know, how do you, how do you make that decision to actually turn down a client, um, which may be offering you a lot of money. Um, and, over the years, you know, we've had various kind of awkward situations where, you know, you're on the one hand, you're trying to run a business. You've, I, I'm not particularly financially motivated, but at the end of the day, you know, we've got to pay people's salaries. They've got mortgages to pay and, and so on. And so even if I don't have a particular hunger for the money side of the business, it is a practical reality. So on the one hand, you've got to earn the money, but then you get projects coming through the door and you're thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> we don't really like it, but we kind of need to pay the bills. Um, and and it, it takes guts to turn that down and say, well, actually, you know what, we're not, uh, we're not going to take this project on, even though, you know, it might be, it might be good money because we don't believe in it. And, and then to actually turn back to those clients and be honest with them and tell them look, we're not, we're not going to do it. And these are our reasons. And, and that can be quite hard because, you know, you've got to be sensitive about it. Those people are probably nice. In most cases, the people that are working for companies that we might not approve of, in their, on, on an individual level, they're probably nice people and they're probably good people. 
but they may not so may not have thought about you know the implications of the projects they're working on so um so yeah so that's really i think the kind of the, the main area where being brave comes into it is actually being able to say no we're gonna we're gonna stick to our guns we're gonna turn down the money we're gonna be honest about what we think um and and do what we think is right even if it's not the easiest path yeah no i i i like that because i mean i i sit and think you know there's a lot of everybody's entitled to opinions and it's it's that whole thing of being able to actually honestly express your opinion can be incredibly challenging in today's world so creating that culture within the workplace that you're able to do that and then really use that to just drive the decision making so i mean i know like you're saying there's this practical element but having have the courage you know and bravery courage there's a kind of connection between the language there as well having the courage to say no we are going to stand by beliefs but also what i think is really kind of quite cool about what you're saying there is that if we're able to be brave and be honest about what we believe, then we're also having an opportunity where we can potentially educate people in a sensitive way into maybe thinking about these issues differently or having a having an impact. Even with a no, we could still be causing somebody to go back and think about something that, that who knows, has an impact further down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, and it's you know, also on the positive side, you know, by having that confidence and that courage to actually say what you really think. And that then enables you to actually talk more openly, um, you know, outside of our team with, with our suppliers, with our clients, with the sort of the wider business community um, about things that we think are important and actually get these issues out there. Even if sometimes people might think we're a little bit, a little bit crazy. Mm. So do people kind of think that it's and what you're doing is a bit crazy? I think that people um, generally these days seem to be fairly accepting of the, the concept of climate change and, and that we need to do something about it. Um, but I think where it becomes more challenging is when you actually ask people to, to make changes in their behaviour, actually take real action to do something about it. And that's when, that's when they tend to look at you a bit as if like, are you crazy that you actually want us to do something? Um, because I think people are very like, they're kind of set in their ways. People, a lot of people don't like change and, and often they feel like there's some sort of compromise required in, in doing things in a more sustainable way. And some, it's not always true that there's a compromise, but sometimes there genuinely is. Um, and, and I think that when you present it, that they need to make a compromise, then they, they seem to think you're a bit, a bit, a bit crazy and in, in the example of what we do you know we're doing web design and you know even with more kind of ethically minded um clients if you start talking to them about doing things that will reduce the environmental impact of their website they'll generally be very very receptive in concept of course they want a website that's more energy efficient and they want a website that has lower carbon emissions but then when you start talking them through things that you might do to achieve that um they're often not so keen because <laughs> it often means things like less videos, less images, um, moving the hosting provider, which is a hassle. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to take take real steps. And um, I think people want to be 
more sustainable, but actually getting them to take the action requires a little bit, a little bit more effort. Hmm. So I, I like that because that's you, you kind of mentioned a couple of a couple of things, and I was curious how you make you know your your website more environmentally friendly. So you're saying less videos, less images, maybe a different hosting provider. Um, are there any other ways that you can you can make your website more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two kind of top level things to think about, and then there's lots of detail underneath those. So one of them is the hosting provider. So um, I mean. Hosting it somewhere that's powered by renewable energy or as much renewable energy as possible is is a big thing. So if you can find a supplier that's using a data center that buys renewable energy, um, then then that's great. Um, and then and then the sort of the other half of hosting is really kind of location. But it it does take energy to move data through the telephone networks. So if you know that all of your users are in the UK. And you're hosting it, your website in Texas, then you know that's quite an inefficient way of managing data. So moving it closer to the users is is another thing. Um, and then the other the other kind of top level thing is just the amount of data that you're transferring. So more data uses more energy. It's using it's using energy in in the data center itself. In terms of, I mean, data centers use huge amounts of energy. Like a typical data center is uses the amount of energy of like a kind of medium-sized town um, wow. but you wouldn't know it it's just a warehouse an anonymous warehouse somewhere on an industrial park but they are just burning through electricity and it's basically you've just got a warehouse full of computers all of those computers are using energy and then you've got huge cooling systems to cool them down um, so so choosing so actually there's another part of hosting as some hosting providers are much more energy efficient than others they use uh, more efficient servers. They've got passive cooling rather than sort of old-fashioned air conditioning systems. Um, they're just much better designed for energy efficiency. So that's something to think about. But then, on your web web design side, it's just thinking about well, less data is going to need less energy in the data center, in the transmission networks, and loading onto your computer, whether it's a laptop or a desktop or a phone. Um, less data means less energy and less carbon emissions, basically. So, so yeah, things like big things, video is terrible. I mean, it, it, it's great <laughs> as a form of information and entertainment, but it's really data intensive. Um, podcasts are um, quite data intensive, but way better than video. So if you want, you know, if you want to sit and digest information easily, then a sound file is much, is a fraction of the size of a video file. Um, but then just reading good old fashioned text um, <laughs> is, is the most efficient way. So it's thinking about how can you package up the messages that the, you're trying to communicate in the most efficient way while still getting the message across. If you don't get the message across, then the point is lost. Um, but often people are using videos for things that they don't really, they don't add value. Um, so those are things you can lose. Um, and similarly with you know huge images, you can compress the images or you can just be a bit more careful in the way you design things to still create visual impact, but do it with with a much smaller file sizes. 
Hmm. And I mean, for some of them, it's it's, it's interesting because what what you're saying there. Some of some of them are really easy to do. You know, like compressing the images and only using videos if it's value. I like the f- fact that a podcast is less data intensive. That was not my selection choice, but I like that I qualified it. <laughs> um, but what it's 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 kind of also bringing up here is um, the. This is a, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative attempt in order to create more sustainability. And one of the conversations that um, I had, one of the organisations I interviewed, which was my first interview today, and I need to share this because it kind of ties into what you're talking about. We also need to be realistically aware, I think, that, like you say, people are kind of quite reluctant to change. And this organisation was called um, Climeworks, and my mind was blown um, because what they're doing is they're actually capturing carbon and they're finding a way to filter it and their long-term strategy is being able to filter it back into the earth so it actually turns back into store stone. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's so amazing. It, I will send you the link. I mean, everybody should go and listen to it because it was one of the interviews where I got off after listening to it and I went, I have nothing intelligent to say. Um, I have just gone oh, this is so cool. Like it it blew my mind in terms of the practical nature of it. And it's like, how can we make people aware that this is what we need to be focusing on? Look at this way of of, of taking us, because they were saying it's not about going carbon neutral, it's going carbon negative. And this is how they're doing it by extracting it and putting it back into the earth, which for me, I have heard of people doing through trees, but never actually, you know, a process of filtration. And it's 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 almost like what I'm, I'm hearing from you as I'm, I'm kind of considering this is how do we kind of connect connect that so that we're understanding that we can be supporting organizations that are doing cool stuff like that and minimizing the amount of data that we're using so it's 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 not necessarily one or the other we're using a both and perspective yeah absolutely and i think you know there's a lot of practical steps that that you can take to move towards sustainability both in terms of kind of reducing consumption, but also doing positive things that actually, you know, it's not just about less bad, it's also about more good. Um, And I think, yeah, things like that, what you just described are amazing. Yeah. No, I love that. We'll be right back after this short nature break. How has focusing on creating positive change and um, helping to create more sustainable website use impacted the way that you live your daily life? Um, I mean, my daily life, I think, well, everything, <laughs> everything that I do, whether it's a business or whether it's in my kind of day-to-day personal life, I guess, comes from the same set of beliefs, um, which includes which includes a sort of a belief that we need to be moving towards sustainability, but also a, a general belief in in the power of nature as a as a as a sort of self healing self sustaining system. So, um, so I'm yeah. I mean, we talked we talked before the podcast about the fact that I, I like to to run barefoot, um, and that's a part of that. You know, it's 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 that's another thing that might, that might sound crazy, but it's it's so much fun once you get into it and and you just feel you do feel this connection with nature that you just don't you just don't normally get i mean you've got thousands of nerve endings in your feet but 
um, but never get activated. And um, yeah, it's an amazing experience. And and similarly, you know, other things, you know, I I know that my life is far from sustainable. I'm not I'm not delusional, but you know, I, I drive an electric car. I've got tons of solar panels on my roof. I eat a plant based diet. Um, try to heal myself naturally wherever possible. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just about looking at every aspect and thinking, okay, is there a way that I can, within the means that I have, is there a way that I can try and achieve this part of my life in a natural, a more natural, more sustainable way and, and, and just continuously improving that. And, and I think a big part of that is experimenting. Um, and a lot of stuff, you know, might turn out to be a bad idea or a big failure. But but I think for me, experimenting with things is what's really moved my life forward and kind of led on to better things. And um, some things some things work out and turn out to be amazing. Other things you think, okay, well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love what you've you, you've kind of said there because it is. It's about recognizing that finding your core beliefs kind of apply in business and in your your personal life as well but focus on within your means because i think there can sometimes be pressure um to to go green go sustainable or whatever using all those wonderful words that can end up being quite expensive and it's if you don't have the money, it's not feasible and we have to kind of accept that we have to do it within our means, but also experiment and have fun and not be upset if it doesn't work for you, recognising, and I suppose for me, I think there's there's many different ways that we can all be sustainable. We don't all have to be doing everything all the same and to be like little non-carbon cookie cutters. Yeah, exactly. And I think, that, you know, failure is a part of progress and the more that we all experiment with new ideas and and fail at them that actually the quicker we're going to move towards better solutions mm -hmm. yeah so then who do you most admire and why tom so i'm not going to say somebody famous because i just generally don't um <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of successful well-known people who've done amazing things but i'm not i don't sort of generally look up to them in a way but my my wife Fanita, who I run whole grain with. Um, when I first met her, she she told me that her sort of guiding principle in life is just always seeking out a better life, and and she doesn't mean that in a in a greedy way. It's but more in a, this sort of genuine continuous improvement kind of way that we should always be seeing if we can do things better and. But in a really positive way, it's not about dissatisfaction. It's about it's about it's about progress, and and she's a real doer. I'm more of a like you know, dreaming of how things can be great. <laughs> but she's like she's the one who's like, let's take action. Let's actually do something about this. Um, and I I feel like everything that I've done in the last you know last twelve years has really been about tuning in to, to what we really believe in as in terms of how can we make things better, but then taking that action. And, and um, yeah, and she's the one, she's the one who's really kind of inspired me to, to believe in the power of action, not just the power of dreams. <laughs> I like that. 
believe in the power of dreams and action. Yeah. Awesome. So then, what is one of the, your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why, Tom? So, I mean, I've had a lot of good times in nature, but I think one of the things that really struck me was when I was, when I was a child, my parents took me to America for the first time. And we went, we went to Yosemite. And it really struck me that, I mean, I know Yosemite is not untouched by man. It, it has roads, it has hotels, but they have wilderness there in a way that just doesn't exist here in the UK. Um, and it, it suddenly dawned on me that what I thought was nature is not really nature. It's, you know, it's crafted by agriculture and forestry and, um, and what have you. And, and it really just woke me up to just sort of the abundance that nature has when you just let it do its thing and how, and how wonderful and how amazing it is. Um, and, and I guess that sort of stayed with me throughout my life that I, when I'm looking at things, I, I have a slightly different perspective because of that. It's like, well, is it really natural or is it just something that we take for granted as being natural because that's what we've grown up with? Mm. I like it. So almost um, going deeper into what, 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 what nature actually means. Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of ties in with a book I read fairly recently by George Monbiot. Um, I think the book's called Feral. Mm. And, and he talks about the shifting baseline syndrome, where what we think is normal is only normal because it's what we grew up with. It's what everyone around us thinks is normal. But that doesn't mean it's normal. You know, if you look historically, if you go back, actually, a lot of the things that we think are normal are completely off the charts, um, abnormal. And, you know, some of those things might be in good ways in terms of like the, the you know, the sort of low rates of disease and long life that we can live and those sorts of things, but other things in terms of the, you know, the ecosystems um, are, you know, really, really degraded, but not, we, we, when we're saying they're degraded, we're comparing them to a hundred years ago. But if you compare them to a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago, um, you suddenly start realizing that, wow, our, our, our perspective is, is a lot more warped than that we might have at first thought. Mm. Yeah. So then how have nature experiences, I mean, you've touched on a little bit there, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. How have nature experiences like going to, to Yosemite and really ending up questioning what, what nature is, how have these influenced and impacted the work that you do? Um, I think it, I think it all comes back to, I think it all comes back to the belief that ultimately everything comes from nature. So we have to sort of look at that as our resource base. You know, we're from nature, our businesses are from nature. And I think when we're running a business, we're, it's quite abstract. We kind of forget what we are. We forget that we're animals. We think we're, you know, we get lost in our in our own little world of doing these things day to day, working on computers and so on. We think that's it goes back to the shifting baseline. We think that's normal that we're tapping away on computers, and and it's and I think it those experiences sort of help you to tie it back and say, well, actually, no, like all of this comes from nature. The computer that I'm working on came from nature. I came from nature. 
The food that we're eating at lunch came from nature. The products that our clients produce came from nature. And the energy that we're, we're consuming with our heating and, you know, running website servers and so on is it's all coming from nature. So if we need nature to sustain all of these things, so these things need to be feeding back into it, or at least at the very least, you know, the principle of sustainability is at least not taking more from it than, than it can sustain. Hmm. Yeah. No, that was really nicely said. So what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today, Tom? I think, I think the key thing I'd say is that um, the action matters and that if you make every action positive towards what you believe is progress, even if it's a tiny, tiny thing, um, but it does count for something. If every, you know, every, all human impact is, is just the sum of all of these tiny little things that we all individually do. Um, and even in business, I think that, you know, we think that businesses, businesses make impact. But actually, it's all of those people within the businesses and it's the customers and it's, it's all of their individual little actions that all add up to something bigger. So make every action matter, um, I think, would be my main takeaway. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. It's my pleasure. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Rayleigh Bennett and Javier Rosa, co-founders of the Diving Devil Dogs of Arizona, about how nature can help veterans recover from trauma and how we can help create transformational change in communities by applying lessons learnt from the military. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org.